0: Hello and welcome to the Remnant Rising Podcast. I am Tyson Thompson. Uh, today's topic is one that I have been um, just pondering on, um, trying to apply in my own life in intense ways, um, and and really been discussing with a lot of people. It's, it's so interesting. I think that my life and the life of other people end up uh, giving me the topics that um, that you know that I need to share messages about um, the topic or the title of today's podcast is "I am sovereignty," um, and you know, or "I am sovereign." As I reflect on what that means, uh, there's a lot that comes to mind. Um, but most importantly, what come to mind are the examples of sovereignty in our lives in our eternal lives. And that, uh, those examples are our heavenly father, our heavenly mother and our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, um, and the entire God family. I mean, there's a family of gods out there who are sovereign beings. And I believe the best thing we can do, somebody said the most sincere form of flattery is, is, uh, duplication or, um, impersonation. Um, you know, so our most sincere way that we can flatter our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother or pay them a compliment is to try to apply the principles of godliness that they not only espouse in pure doctrine undefiled, but also that they exhibit in the way that they exist. So, um, I... I, I just find it such a blessing again to, to interact with other people and to see these themes come up in discussion, particularly right now as people are wrestling with what's happening in the world, what's happening specifically in the church. Um, you know, it's this space where everyone that I know that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints have been in the space where they have made covenants with God in temples regarding what they would do and how they would pursue him and their relationship with him. And it seems that many of the things that they covenanted to do with God are now running in direct confliction with the administrative direction of the church and the the direction the leadership appears to be taking the church and that puts them and puts everyone that experiences that in this space where we have to really start to do a gut check. Well, my friends, let me just testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that you're in good company. That kind of gut check was not lost on and was noted and and really uh, laid out in the testimony of so many beings that have that have graced this earth, so many powerful beings. Powerful beings like Esther, and powerful beings like Ruth, and powerful beings like Lehi, and Nephi, and Sariah, and powerful beings like Zoram, um, and powerful beings like Helaman, and Abinadi, and Moses, and so many, Abraham, so many, I mean really every powerful being that we get to study in scriptures has come to this place where they had to do a gut check against what they thought they knew, against what they believed to be true, in order to reach a state where they were willing to put everything on the altar. I would just, I'm not gonna read them now, but I would just go back and reference the lectures on faith six, verses five through nine, I believe, or five through eight. Uh, And it talks in there about sacrificing all things Um, including our lives if necessary, but also, uh, most importantly, doing that with the knowledge and assurance that we will reach a space where we know our course is acceptable to God. And that is the genuine and true theme over and over and over and over again in the lives of genuine disciples. Again, it's, it's just always astounding to me that these things just come to the surface and I mean I have shared some very intense conversations with people regarding this this very topic. Uh, I want to walk through some some basic definitions of some things that I feel like contribute to understanding this at least in the framework and structure that it's been delivered to me. Uh, I remember somebody at one point um, saying that we need to transcend from being codependent beings to being independent beings and sovereign beings, and then work towards from that place of sovereignty and independence being interdependent beings. So you have kind of a continuum there, you know, a a line where people that are codependent um, becoming independent and sovereign, and then operating in a healthy, (coughs) excuse me, a healthy version of of codependence or something called interdependence. So let's define some of that a little bit. Codependence is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction. Okay. So that's codependency. Uh, Essentially somebody who needs other people, at least one other person, maybe many other people in order to feel validated in order to feel love in order to feel, um, you know, any, any connection and, and they need this in, in almost an addicted It is an addiction, um, codependence and needing to be needed, um, is an addiction. Um, okay. And then independence that is freedom from the control, influence, support, aid, or the like of others. And, you know, independence co-word that is in the title of this podcast is sovereignty, and that is defined as complete independence and self-government. A territory existing as an independent state. Um, So I think that those things, uh, those definitions are helpful in helping us to see um, who we can transition from being in order to become who we actually are. In this world... A lot of who we are is defined codependently Uh, it's defined by well I am you know a lawyer I am a doctor I am for me I was a military captain for me I was you know or for other people um, I am you know a father I am a mother I am and those are all titles and it's okay to have those titles But when our complete identity is wrapped up in any one of those titles, um, even a few, uh, we are limiting ourselves to, to our ability to connect to the fullness of who we are. You are and I am gods in embryo. We are literally heavenly fathers and heavenly mothers in the making. And I've said this before, but when we view ourselves like they view us, they don't view us as this stumbling, bumbling idiot, third mud ball from the sun, Tyson Thompson, right? Like they don't view me in that way. They view me as exactly like them right now because they live in that eternal now space and they're they're modus operandum, their mode of operation is in the eternal now. And it is to see me as I am, not as I will be, or as I was, or, or whatever. So they live in this space where they see me as exactly like them because they are the epitome of the perfect brightness of hope. They are the epitome of perfect faith and all things are before them. So they understand and see that every human being on planet earth and whatever other creations and planets there are, are all on this continuum of becoming like them. In fact, they see all creatures the same way as, as the intelligences that make up those creatures have the capacity to, to fulfill the measure of their creation. And, as, and us as humans, having the capacity or opportunity to become exactly like our mother and father. So let's, let's reference where the phrase I am comes from. So this was Jesus in the book of Exodus. Jesus was in a space where he was the, I am or the Jehovah of the old Testament. And he was guiding and directing different beings, different humans uh, in the beginning, um, you know, after the creation and the first establishments of, of civilization and, um, humanity and, and everything else. And so, so he, he appears to Moses and, and takes Moses on this journey and, and Moses asks this question. And then the Lord's answer is where the I am phrase is born, at least to our knowledge. Um, scripturally says, and Moses said unto God, behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel and say unto them, the God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel. children of israel i am hath sent you sent me unto you so how amazing uh is that here is the god of the universe and he refers to himself as i am now the critics out there would probably say well i mean that's god and you're not god so why would you take the title of i am well because as a christian in modern day understanding we covenant to take God's name upon us, Christ's name upon us at baptism. And when we covenant to take his name upon us, we also receive the blessings, the covenant blessings associated with that identity. As we know by study of scripture, the I am of the Old Testament, the Jehovah of the New Testament, and the Jesus Christ, as we understand him, of the New Testament, and the Jesus Christ of the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants, and, you know, the lectures on faith. I mean, all of this scripture and knowledge that we have of him is a powerful being who understands the fullness of what it means to be, I am. And I find it interesting that it is this, I am principle. That is sovereignty. Christ had to be taught as we understand in his life, when he was on the earth, line upon line, precept upon precept. It says in scripture that he grew in in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he, he grew line upon line. And when he grew into the fullness of who he was to be here on the earth, that is when he took on that title of I am. And in Luke chapter 8, I believe. Yes. No, John chapter 8. Christ was being harassed by the Sanhedrin because they wanted to know who he is, who whence came, came now, you know, I mean, where did you come from? Who are you? And he was trying to help them understand that they couldn't understand that question unless they actually knew God, unless they knew the father and i would submit the mother and they knew the fullness of god then they would know whence he came um but he told them as much you know you, you don't know whence i come or whether i go because i am not of this world you are of this world i am not of this world i am of my father from above and you are of your father from beneath so when his words don't make sense to people as they read them it's it's telling as to where their mindset and their hearts are and they can come to know Christ by, by getting to know the father. I've said this before, but Paul said that pure religion undefiled is this to know Thee, the one true God. And Joseph Smith said that if we do not comprehend the character of God, we do not comprehend ourselves. So what is I am? Well, I am is again, that declaration that I am, God, right? Uh, You know, for us, those of us condescended learning this step-by-step process of becoming gods, uh, we're, we're gods with little G. Um, and I mean, again, that's scripturally supported on us being gods with small G God in embryo becoming like God, the father and mother in a fullness. So, so that is the, I am statement in a nutshell is I am God. Um, You know, and that sounds like a bold thing to declare. And, you know, it's cited in the New Testament. Go and look it up. It's cited by Joseph Smith. It's cited um, in Doctrine and Covenants 121. There's references to it in the Book of Mormon. Um, There's scriptural references to support this understanding that we should see ourselves as that with a degree of humility, remembering that yet we are not yet completely ascended like mother and father. In the, in the real sense, but at the same time, understanding that they don't view us any differently. They don't want us to view ourselves differently. They want us to be as independent and, and strong individually as we can be. And then they want us to be able to ascend in our minds so that we can commune with them. Thus why there has been emphasis, thankfully, placed over the last little while of hearing the voice of the Lord And what he's going to do, I said before, is introduce us to ourselves. So that's as good a job, I feel like I can, as I can do in um, introducing what the I am is from a definition standpoint. But let's look at examples of beings who stood in their I am in sovereign and powerful ways. The I am principle and the understanding that your course is acceptable to God, that you're willing to lay down everything in order to fulfill what it is you came to do are, are powerful concepts and they are the common theme behind the most powerful beings that we have have witnessed through scripture or witnessed in the world ever. So let's think about the I am of Esther. Esther is a woman who was born as a slave, and she ascended into royal courts, and there was a rule by by marriage. Well, first of all, she technically, by religious purposes, should not have married the king because he was not a Jew, but she did because she was following the commandment of God. So she asserted her I am by breaking a religious law so that she could fulfill the obligations given to her by Jehovah, by God. So she was standing in her sovereignty. And I am in following the dictates of her conscience and following the dictates of her, of her soul and the direction that her life was supposed to take. So that is her exhibiting extreme courage and standing in a way that, that most people then couldn't comprehend. And I'm sure there were those who knew her who were like, Oh, look at Esther she took the easy way out she gets to now live in luxury while the rest of us grovel down here in slavery and you know that that was their perspective that was how they viewed things because they were codependent right they were codependent on a lot of things and she was learning how to become interdependent so that she could stand in interdependence and so she proceeds after a while to, to the place where she understands that, that her husband, the king, is gonna kill all the Jews based on really a, a terrible servant that worked for him, um, based on a setup. And she knew that the time and the purpose for her life had come. And she was willing to stand in her sovereignty and offer her life in similitude of Christ in order to spare her people to have them be freed and so she stood in her sovereignty it was against the law against the rules for her to come to the king unsummoned uninvited and she just walked in and said hey you can kill me after I deliver the message that God has commanded me to give but if you kill the children of Israel it's going to be a very very bad thing for you and Her husband was moved with compassion, discovered the deceit of this servant who was giving him bad information, and he then stood with her side by side, and together they ruled interdependently um, from there forward. And, And the kingdom had prosperity, and there was a unity achieved in that blessed arrangement. So another example of a being operating a couple beings operating in their I am was Lehi, right? He's just a merchant in 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 Jerusalem and he was told by the Lord to go and preach and so he does, asserting his independence again as I am. And then the people seek to slay him and so he runs. And Nephi, learning according to the example of his father, does the same thing, receives all the same answers that the father gave to Lehi, to to his father, and to Sariah, and they, they begin this epic journey. And Nephi, over and over and over again, throughout all of his story, exerts his I am, his independence, working towards becoming interdependent. Um, and, and really he had manifested full interdependence with the Lord, um, that he was able to act for himself and not be acted upon, which brings me to a scripture that is in, I believe this is Mosiah. Um, but you'll recognize the verses and the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because they were, they are redeemed the fall have become from the fall. They have become free forever knowing good from evil to act for themselves and not be acted upon save it be by the punishment of the law at the great and last day, according to the commandments, which God hath given. So again, they've become free to act for themselves, not to be acted upon. That is what sovereign beings do. They are, they follow the, the dictates or the commandments and the voice of God to a space where then they act for themselves. And this is where deliverance begins to come real deliverance. And I I say that in the context of understanding where we are in the history of mankind, we have absolute corruption in all of the governments, in all of big corporations, in the church, and everyone that, that used to feel like there was stability from their government or stability from the church or the brethren are starting to realize there's no stability outside of Christ and that he is the rock upon which we should build, the foundation upon which we should build. And so we go back to Christ and in the space with Christ, he helps us to overcome these codependencies we have on the world to be quote unquote, okay, or at peace. And in that we find deliverance from this world, we find deliverance from fear and lower level emotions that Lucifer uses to keep us captive, to seal us his, as the scriptures talk about and fear and all of its derivatives are the sealing power of Lucifer. So shame, guilt, depression, anxiety. I mean, there's a long list of of derivatives of fear, but they're all based in that same root emotion. So at this point, I just want to, I want to pause and make this all practical. If in your life you have people who wield shame and guilt and try to manipulate or coerce you to do things a certain way, because that is what they know how to do. It's how they operate. You don't have to be subject to that. You don't have to be in relationships where people make you feel less than based on their own insecurities. You don't have to be verbally or emotionally abused. You don't have to be spiritually or religiously abused. Like many of the saints are being, you can choose something different. And I testify to you and prophesy to you in the name of Jesus Christ, that if you will go to the Lord, and ask him how to be delivered, he will put you on the same path as Esther and Lehi and Nephi and Abinadi and even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his earthly life and ministry. Christ will help you to get on the same path where you are then in, you're on a collision course with yourself, with your higher self. And you'll begin to act for yourself and not be acted upon. And for me, that journey at first was the Lord giving me a lot of direction and me doing exactly what he said. But at a certain point, he said, you know, stop blaming everything on me and stop giving me all the credit. It was both. And I was like, what do you mean, Lord? And he said, stop. I don't want you to give your sovereignty to me. I want you to act for yourself and not be acted upon. So I moved from this space of codependency with other people where I had to do what I felt like they wanted me to do to a space where I became codependent on the Lord, where he gave me direction and I did. And then at a certain point, he delivered me to my own sovereignty and said, act for yourself, take the thought, study it out in your mind, proceed as if... If you want to, which I do periodically, I check with him and say, I feel like I need to do this. What do you want me to do? If you want me to do something different, tell me otherwise I'm gonna do the thing you asked or not the thing you asked. I'm gonna do the thing that I feel through my through my sovereign nature that I need to do in order to, to proceed with with my mission and why I'm here. And there's times where he says nothing. There's times where he says, well, you might wanna add this and this as elements to what you're doing you might want to consider waiting till this point in time Um, but generally speaking has he's delivered me to the space where I where I have learned to a pretty high level I wouldn't say I'm perfect I'm not perfect um, to act for myself and not be acted upon and I can tell you, you know, I get people that get frustrated with me, angry, have said all kinds of hateful and vengeful things to me. And and I genuinely want you to know that I love them. And I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that I love them, that I am learning to have perfect charity and love for them. But that doesn't mean that I have to buy into it, that I have to enable it. And I can draw lines in the sand and say, no, I don't have to participate in this anymore. And I tell them unequivocally, I will be here when you are ready to be in a state where you can treat me with the same respect that I'm trying to treat you and love me without, without wanting compensation, without a transactional expectation in your mind of what I have to do in order to be worthy to continue to associate with you. And that is this world. If you look at the relationships that you have and that most people are in, they are codependent and I'm talking about the overwhelming majority of relationships. They are codependent. And you have so many people who wield shame and guilt in subtle or overt ways and who, who make people feel um, like they're not, they're not worthy or, they try to wield shame and guilt in order to guilt people into acting a certain way. And that is nothing short of Luciferian, and it's it's being acted upon. It's not acting for yourself. And when people do that to you, you you need to get to the space where you assert your independence. And the only way to do that is to have Christ lead you out of that process um, at first. And then he will let you stand in sovereignty and make decisions on your own. In fact, that's where he wants to lead you to. But the first thing you need to do is begin to draw boundaries. You need to begin to say, you know what, these behaviors are okay with me um, and I'm okay with you know, with these things, but I'm not okay with, with you leveraging shame and guilt and trying to make all of your unhappiness feel like it's my fault. Um, and you have to be able to unhook from people who want to leverage shame and guilt. And that breaking those bonds can be very, very difficult, but it is very, very, it is absolutely necessary in order to be able to stand in that I am and that sovereignty. And so a huge part of that is becoming yoked with Christ. Uh, One of my favorite scriptures of all time is this. This is from Moroni 7, 47 and 48. But charity is the pure love of Christ, and it endureth forever, and whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with him. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all energy of heart, that ye may be filled with this love, which is bestowed upon all who are true followers of his Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, that we may have this hope, that we may be purified, even as he is pure. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I have a very direct question to ask you right now. Do you believe that scripture is true or not? Do you believe that when Jesus Christ appears, you will be like him? You'll see him as he is because you will be like him. Do you believe that? Do you, do you want that to be true? Because I testify to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, that that is true if you choose it to be. It's true that you are a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, and that as you choose that place of sovereignty and disconnect yourself and your worth and your value from other people's opinion of you, from religious ideology that is false, from false doctrine, from the creeds of men, from all of these things that pull at your identity and try to strip it away, as you disconnect and break the bonds and ask the Lord to help you break the bonds that are keeping you stuck in these paradigms that aren't true so you can stand in the fullness of your I am, I testify to you and prophesy to you in the name of Jesus Christ that there will come a day when you will stand in his presence and the fulfillment of that scripture will happen. That when he appears, you shall see him as he is because you are like him. That's what he wants for us. That's his greatest desire. That's Heavenly Mother and Heavenly Father's greatest desire. But you have to want that more then you want to be in relationships with people who are mean to you, who are abusive. You have to want that more than you want the approval of church leaders. than you want to fit in the box that they're trying to put you in. Then you want to put God in the box that, uh, that religionists are trying to put God in. There's a reason that these scriptures are not talked about and quoted in, in in general conference, et cetera, because they're, they're actually, most of those leaders are not interested in you standing in your I am. They're not gonna teach you about how to be a sovereign being because they operate in a space where they want control. And if you look at the relationships you're in across the board, whether it's at work, with family, with church, with whatever, you'll realize that everything for the most part, is transactional. That people want something from you and in in order to receive what you want from them, you've got to give them something and then they give you something. And it literally is this back and forth transactional type of relationship. It's quid, quid pro quo. You give me this, this for that. You give me this and I give you that. That is not how the Lord gives. He gave his life freely. He didn't sit up there and go, well, I'll give it. And then I need all of this in return. That was Lucifer's plan. Christ was like, I'll give my life and then all glory for me giving my life will go to the Father. And so he gives us this free gift without expectation of return. It's not transactional. He gives it to us freely. And then in return, he wants to also give the glory to father because he knows that what it is he seeks and wants will come to him by nature of the opportunity that he has to become like father and not operate in any lower level tactical quid pro quo, this for that transactional relationships, but to honestly, as mother and father do have it be his work and glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. That's when Jehovah completes his work at the end of the millennium, the judgment's done and everybody, you know, ascends their next level. Christ ascends to the Elohim level and he has become like the father perfectly. And his role from there forward is to perpetuate the same experiences for all of us. Do you realize you stop to realize that heavenly father and heavenly mother used to be beings like us, sinful, fallen, struggling beings. So how is it in that genuine, loving, powerful character of them? Would they ever be transactional and say, well, you need to do these things or else I won't love you. And you're not righteous. No. They just love you. Do you love your children? Hopefully, you don't. But you know, do you love your children any less when they make mistakes? Man, I love my children the same. Hopefully, all the time. But I, I love it when they make mistakes. I love it when they, you know, they do things that even ruffle my feathers because I'm getting an opportunity to ascend. They're getting an opportunity to ascend. We have lots of discussions. We try to laugh about it. It's beautiful, it's a beautiful process and they want us to have to find joy. Man is that they may have joy, right? It doesn't say man is that they may have joy when they're being righteous according to the dictates of men. No, man is that they may have joy, even in the process of the struggle, even in in, in tragedy, even in trial, even in breaking free of, of unhealthy relationships. I'm going to be bold and say that Adam and Eve's relationship in the terrestrial garden was codependent and it didn't all get reset until Eve stepped into her. I am and asserted her agency and chose what she chose to partake of the fruit. And by so doing knew she would be cast out. She did that out of love, But she did it out of independence so that she could operate in interdependence. And what happened to Adam? She didn't go to him and go, well, you're so dumb and I'm smart. And if you would just do things my way, then you would see. No, she went to Adam and said, you know what, Adam, I exercised my agency. I partook of the fruit. Would you like to partake of the fruit too? And Adam's like, whoa, don't you know what fruit that is? She's like, yes, I do know what fruit it is. But do you not remember that father commanded us to multiply and replenish the earth? And we can't do that here. It was time for choosing. And I chose and she kicks off the whole plan of agency. Thus our opportunity to pursue our I am by a choice to not be codependent anymore. And then her and Adam begin this life together in a celestial sphere as condescended beings in stepping back into the fullness of their I am in interdependence willful interdependence there was no transactional nature to their relationship did they have heartache yes did they struggle yes hello their first son killed their second son they they invented operating in tragedy and staying in their I am in the process and since then we've had these philosophies of men mingled with scripture, these lower level ways of thinking that have continued to plague mankind and become pervasive iniquity to the point where everyone right now feels trapped. And the Lord's like, why do you feel trapped? I've given you your agency, choose something different. So brothers and sisters, I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ that you have sovereignty, that you can operate, independently, that you can choose a different scenario than what it is you're dealing with now. So my question to you from Jesus Christ is this, what do you want? Do you want to be part of Zion? Do you want to learn to operate in independence so that you can be interdependent? Or do you want more of the same And do you want to wait to be acted upon by the tribulations rather than someone who acts for themselves, who is also there to give help to others who are struggling? I don't know of an organization that wields shame and guilt better than the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's not the intention of the Lord, but it is the cultural and policy-driven way that the church operates in keeping people in quote-unquote check. Think about it. I was just having a discussion with a friend recently. This friend is still an active member of the church in a leadership position in his congregation, in his ward. And he was lamenting to me how frustrating it is that people can't ask questions. They can't question the presented current narrative of the church. They can't question the they can't ask questions about history in the church. They can't ask questions to understand whether or not their leaders were actually inspired in decision-making or not. Why? Because shame and guilt are wheeled at them and compliance Nazis tell them, you either do what you're being told and you toe the line or we're gonna take action against you and then action is taken against them. And when you find yourself at that crossroad in any relationship, whether it's a marital relationship, a family relationship, a religious relationship, when you find yourself in the space where somebody else is leveraging shame and guilt and fear and using fear-mongering in order to try and manipulate your behavior to get you to do something their way, you should honestly assert your independence in that moment or at a minimum, ask the Lord if he wants you to, there were times where beings ascended beings, submitted themselves to the agency of these other beings. Um, but there are also times when codependency was broken in order for a paradigm shift to happen for a reset of the plan of agency to take place. And actually, you know, in the story of Esther, that's what happened. Her husband, the king, right, was, t- w- was told that he needed to operate inside of this box. And here are the rules. Esther broke the rules. Therefore, you're mandated to kill her. And then all of a sudden he realized, wait, wait a second, I'm the freaking king. I'm the king. No one tells me what to do. Tradition and culture don't tell me what to do. I'm the king. And I'm discerning that you're you're not who you say you were. That You don't have the best interest of me or the kingdom or the people in mind. You have your own selfish interests in mind. And he had that servant, servant killed and he reset the plan of agency. Well, he chose to reset his own agency, but that was only because Esther chose to come to him and help him have a paradigm shift. Now he could have killed her and then continued on his way, doing things the way that had always been done or he could have chosen what he did and chosen love and chosen chose the reset in order to operate in a space of independence there he was he was the king if anyone would say somebody's sovereign and independent they would have said it was the king and yet he broke the paradigm of what it meant to be sovereign and reset it into genuine godly sovereignty so as i've been talking today I can sense and feel hundreds of times over from listeners that you're stuck in a dynamic in relationships, whether with the church, familial relationships, marital relationship that are not godly and that you've been trapped in for a long time. And now is your opportunity to exercise agency and reset the paradigm and give choice to go to Christ and say, have I submitted to this long enough? My experience, especially increasingly recently, is the Lord is gonna say, yes, you've submitted long enough, you're finished, your work is done, time to reset and give a choice. And then you get to come back and say, hey, you might wanna cut my head off when I tell you this, but I'm not gonna put up with this anymore. Or I'm not gonna participate and play inside of the box that you've put me inside anymore. I'm bigger than the transactional nature of this relationship. I love you. I always will love you. And I honor your choice, but I can't over honor your agency and under honor my own. I need to stand independently so I can learn to operate interdependently with the gods and then invite them on the journey. Say will you come on this reset of our agency together? Because that's worked famously historically in the past. You have that reset of agency happen like with Esther and then her and the king operate in interdependence together. You have that reset of agency in the life of Adam and Eve, where Eve chose and she could have left, could have ended up by herself. And and then Adam would have been a lone man in the garden. Thankfully he chose and here we are. Christ did that with the church and there were many people that followed him into their own sovereignty all the way to their death. But they were standing in their I am, happy to be there, sovereign, like Peter, who volunteered to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus Christ. Or Paul, who had his head cut off. right? But they were in a complete state of peace and sovereignty, knowing that their life was acceptable to God because they chose their I am over over choosing Getting along to get along. Same with Christ. He came with a mission to reset the plan of agency for all of the people who would become Christians in the early church, in the meridian of time, and now. He did the same with Moses. And all of those beings that ascended formed great nations the exception of a few, men like Abinadi. But I don't know, because he may have probably did have a family and they learned of his death and that became a heritage for them. What if Abinadi didn't do that? Let's take a second and ask that question, right? What if if Ruth doesn't stand up and be independent? What if Esther doesn't? What if Sariah and Lehi don't? What if Alma the Younger doesn't? What if Ammon doesn't? What if Abinadi doesn't? What if Joseph Smith doesn't? What if Joseph Smith, after he had the first vision, was like, yeah, that was some crap. I just dreamt that up. You're right. I'm crazy. And just gave up his sovereignty. We wouldn't even be having this discussion right now. If one man didn't stand in his I am and change the face of of a a nation of people who are the Ephraimites who are supposed to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ by gathering Israel what if these men and women didn't stand in their I am what if mother Eve didn't all the way back to the first one the first person to stand in their I am a woman interesting why don't you hear that narrative at church Oh, because it's true. What if Eve doesn't stand in her sovereignty? Then you and I aren't even here. Think about that. The old adage that there's nothing to fear but fear itself is so true. That's a tattooable statement. I'm not afraid of the abuse that's going to be, has been, and will be wielded upon me. I'm not afraid of the death that I'm going to suffer at some point for the cause of truth. I'm afraid. (laughs) If I have a fear that's a justifiable fear, it's that I don't do what I came to do. And that is to help to reset the plan of agency for myself and for everybody around me. I'm not saying you have to come in like Miley Cyrus as a wrecking ball and completely destroy everything in your path. The power of God is love, charity, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness, love unfeigned. That even when people revile against you and say all manner of evil against you, for God's sake, you can count it all joy when you fall into that affliction. Now, that's not to say that you can't at times, as is discussed in Doctrine and Covenants, rebuke with sharpness, but then show forth an increase of love lest he that who thou has rebuked and corrected esteem need to be that his enemy right you can correct the narrative eve did that wasn't uh that wasn't a you know a, a a patty cake conversation when she'd partaken of the fruit it was intense it was powerful and her response to adam when he said don't you know that that's the fruit that father commanded us not to partake? And she says, yes, Adam, I know it's the fruit. Do you not remember also that father commanded us that we should multiply and replenish the earth? We can't have both. I chose and now I love you and I don't want to leave you here, but I will leave you here because I know that these maternal instincts that are driving at me to procreate and to multiply and replenish the earth are not going to go away. And I know that God will provide for me because I chose, because I made a decision. So Adam, I love you and I'll love you. Even if you choose to stay in the garden, I'll always love you. But what do you want? Do you want to be here and comfortable? Do you want to take a chance and go out there with me and operate in the fullness of agency? And we know the result. Adam looked at her and he said, is there no other way? She said, there's no other way. And then he said, then I will partake that man will be. What if they didn't make that choice? You know, I I give a lot of credit to Eve, but I also give credit to Adam for that humility. He thumped his chest at the beginning, and then he was rebuked with sharpness, and he submitted to her, to the truth, and then stood in his I Am, You are in bondage if you operate in fear. We are in bondage if we make any decision that we make out of fear. I've had people say, and people that I love dearly, say the most vile things to me and about me. And I tell them publicly now in the name of Jesus Christ, that I forgive them wholeheartedly, and I love them. I will not stand and let them abuse me in my presence. I don't have to, but I do love them, and I pray for them every day, and I come to them in spirit and bless them that they will be able to recover from whatever pain it is that they're suffering in order to stand independently and healed. I do not share these experiences to wield shame or guilt, but instead to proclaim true and everlasting love in the name of Jesus Christ. So, whatever you do, whatever bonds you need to break, choose to break them in love. When you have that reset of agency in that relationship, at work, with family, in a marriage, whatever it is, when you Step into your I am and you say, I'm doing this. And then you sit that person down and you say, enough is enough. I love you. I will always love you. The fullness of who we are will be manifest in the eternities. And someday I know I'll stand eye to eye with you as a peer in the godly worlds as fully ascended Elohim. But for now and today, I've got to break this bond because it's holding me back from my mission and I can't over honor your agency and dishonor my own. I choose out unless you choose to take my hand and go with me. Jesus Christ, heavenly father and heavenly mother will be with you in that moment. If you stay in love and charity, as you do it, remember the four rules that God gave me that I share with you now. And these can be your rules. You can adapt them, whatever, but these are the ones God gave me. Number one, stay in charity. Number two, Honor agency, your own and that of others, as well as possible. Number three, be continually prepared to be rewired on what you think you know in order to receive more from God. And number four, stay in the fight. Don't give up on you and don't give up on other people. Even if you have to take a break for them, even if they take a break from you by choice, even if you take a break from them because of their choices and the way that they're treating you, no. just know, that you need to do that in a space of charity and love. It's heartbreaking, but it's also powerful. And someday they will see your pure heart through the lens of Jesus Christ. And they will come back and that reunion will be joyous and sweet and powerful. We have to become equally yoked with Christ as we once were and as we always have been. There's never not been a time in the reality of God's reality in the eternal now that you haven't been yoked with them. Choose to be yoked again. Choose to stand in your I am. Choose to answer the call. Choose to not let your fear of what other people will think, say, or do hold you back from what it is that you are here to do, that you covenanted to do, that you co-created and designed with God to do in your individual circumstance and relationships. I testify to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, that the time is now. The time for you to assert your independence, to break free of codependency, is now. The time for you to desire to heal is now. If you look at yourself and you realize you're the person that's been perpetuating a lot of terrible things on other people, then stop. And ask Christ to take your hand and guide you out of it. If you're the person who's been being beat down by every person around you because you thought that that was Christ-like submission, you don't have to do that anymore. He'll tell you when to submit and when not to. You're not supposed to submit to every person that wants to abuse you in this world. Take a knee, let him guide you, let him love you, and let him help you see, and then let him help you stand up so that you can have that joyous occasion to stand and see him eye to eye because you are like him. The time for passivity is past. The time to be direct and honest and real is now. Brothers and sisters, I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. You'll be able to stand in that level of independence and then begin to operate interdependently with other beings on this earth, but most importantly, with Jesus Christ. I want to close and it's not yet apparent to me why I'm even going to read this section other than the spirit is directing me to, but I'm going to read to you Isaiah 61. The spirit of God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He that hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the Liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn, to appoint them to that Mount in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, oil for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall, be, they shall build the old wastes, and they shall rise up from the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And the strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. And the sons of the alien shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And ye shall be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you ministers of your God. Ye shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory ye shall boast yourselves. For your shame ye you shall have double. And your confusion they rejoice in their portion therefore in their their land they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be unto you and their seed shall be known among the gentiles and their offspring among the people all that see them shall acknowledge them and they are the seed which the lord hath blessed i will greatly rejoice rejoice in the lord my soul shall be joyful in my God. For he that hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he that hath covered me in the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with the ornaments, as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God shall will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations, brothers and sisters, I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ, that the advent and second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ is nigh at hand. And that when he comes, he shall meet a group of people who are like him because they have put in the spiritual work, sorry to borrow that phrase, of coming to their I am. The spiritual work is not checking a bunch of boxes as leaders of the church and leaders of religion have tried to do for thousands of years. The spiritual work necessary is coming to the space where you become reacquainted with yourself in your I am, and you know that God is in us and we are in him. We are in them. That mother is with you and that father is with you and that the Lord is with you and that they will heal you and help you to stand fully in your I am until they step back and say, go because we know that whatsoever thou doest and whatsoever thou asks us asks you will do in righteousness because you have the spirit of us and of god with you and they'll send you on your journey to complete your mission brothers and sisters i testify to you in the name of jesus christ that we are his servant spoken of in isaiah that we are that 144,000, that church of the firstborn. Let that sink in. There's so many people that I love and know that are still wrestling with letting that title rest upon them. And I testify to you in the name of Jesus Christ and prophesy to you in the name of Jesus Christ that you are that 144,000 in that church of the firstborn, that you are that remnant that will come out. And I testify to you and bless you with a blessing as a fellow servant in the name of Jesus Christ sealed with the kiss and the hug of our heavenly father and heavenly mother that you have a mission to do and that you are here to do it. Stand up, rise up, break off the shackles, break the bonds and be set free to do your work fearlessly for the Lord, always in love, always honoring agency, always continually being ready to be rewired and learn something new or remember something you've forgotten and doing it all while in charity. I bless you with this and everything that you stand in need of to do this great work in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hurrah for Israel. God be with you until we meet again.